0: Cold, Hi, and welcome to the Discord Podcast. I'm Zach Jabal. Joining me today, wine blogger extraordinaire, Heather Gordon, all the way from the uh, other coast in New York City. Uh, Heather, how's it going?
1: It's going great. How are you?
0: Doing well, thanks. Uh, sitting down here in the ever fabulous basement of my house, drinking wine. So things can't things can't be that bad. That's right. I am a blogger in a basement, but at least it's not my mom's. Um <laughs> So, great. <laughs> so Heather, I've got uh, I've got a, a quick question for you before we dive into the couple of wines that we picked out to taste today. Um, I've been a, a fan of your blog ever pretty much ever since it got started, um, which was not very long ago, frankly. Um, and I think the thing that um, that I really enjoy, and that um, I think a lot of your readers enjoy, is just the. Um, free association that seems to go on when you describe a wine and i just i want to know when you are when you taste a wine do you sit down and write down all those notes that end up on your blog which i should mention by the way because i didn't is blanc de blonde great name uh blanc.com um but like i'm just gonna i just have one like recent one uh pulled up and i feel like i can't do it justice because i'm not you but i'm still gonna just i'm just gonna quote uh from you talking about a bottle of Nero Davila, which is um, in silk awesome. lace and Christmas pajamas is what this bottle feels like in your mouth. Um, it, it's a big body, but it doesn't have that vacuum sucking saliva out of your mouth, which in my awesome opinion, think that shit is for pedos. Just kidding. <laughs> Kinda. So when you're sitting down tasting these wines, is this like, is this what you're writing down? Is it like you're at, yeah. your, at your keyboard just riffing on it? Because it, it definitely <laughs> feels vaguely uh, like, stre- not vaguely. It feels very stream of conscience.
1: Um, so pretty much what happens is I, usually it's at night, I come home from work and I sit down on my couch with a glass of wine and I just start drink, uh, drinking it. And
0: it's a good place to start. All this,
1: yeah. All this stuff just kind of comes to my brain. I guess I have a wide imagination. Um, but yeah, I just take out my phone and in the notes in my phone, I just start writing it. And then, uh, yeah, that's pretty much how it happens.
0: Awesome. So then um, how do you pick out the bottles that you that you take home? Is it like, do you have a list of things that you've been wanting to try? Is it just kind of like that moment before closing and you grab a bottle? Like, is it is it planned or do you just kind of come across stuff and give it a try?
1: Well, it depends because I work in a pretty large wine store, so I have an awesome selection. But it depends what I'm kind of into at the moment. I really love natural wines and biodynamic wines. And so I'm trying to drink through all of those. Uh, But then there, you know, a lot of people buy certain wines and sometimes it's just because they're cheap. But I kind of want to know why they're buying it. So I'll, you know, buy those as well. Um, So it really just depends. Sometimes I'll buy, well, most of the time I'll buy like three bottles a night and I'll open them and just start drinking them. And uh, when I'm blogging, I only blog about wines that I like, so sometimes it takes me a while to get one <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> that, I that I like. Yeah, I know that feeling. I yeah. definitely know that feeling. Uh, especially, it can be that way sometimes with natural wines and biodynamic wines. As much as uh, yeah. as much as they can be amazing and interesting, some of them can you just kind of wonder like, maybe you should have used a little bit of sulfur. That might have come in <laughs> handy. Um,
1: yeah, so- I feel
0: so how did you get interested and involved with wine? Uh, I mean, have you been, have you been working at the wine shop for a while? Is this a new thing for you or or how did this all kind of come to be?
1: So how my wine career started is I graduated college not too long ago with the hospitality management degree. And the only thing I'm really good at besides drinking wine is a uh, studying. I'm really good at saying I like hung out in the library every day in college. And I love it. And so I'm like, what can I do? Cause I can't be a doctor. I'm not that smart. <laughs> so what can I do that? I can study all the time and make a career out of it. So I was working in a restaurant, you know, like most college kids do. Um, and then I heard about becoming a sommelier and you can, you know, everything, the geography, the soil types, Grapes, everything you can study forever, and you will still never know everything. Yeah, so that's kind of how I started with that.
0: That's awesome. That, I I can certainly uh, I can certainly uh, sort of connect to that because for me, that was the the thing that sent me down the wine rabbit hole too. Was just realizing I think for me it was the stories that like every wine or every at least halfway decent wine has a, a some kind of story associated with it, whether it's the story yeah. of the winemaker or the story of the the place the story of the family that's been making the wine for generations um and that those stories are what allow you me anyone else to connect to the wine beyond just tasting it um and so that's really cool um and so you decided to start a blog just because you were you were pulling all these cool tasting notes out of your wines anyhow might as well share them with the world
1: um no not exactly because you know, I don't know how many people actually wanted to hear what I had to say cuz I think a lot of people in the wine world think it's bullshit frankly, you know what I'm saying? They want to talk about just you know, well people don't know what Christmas pajamas in your mouth means. They're like they wait, wait, don't which it. which
0: raises a question. Do you know what Christmas pajamas in your mouth tastes like cuz that sounds like it could be a story unto itself?
1: I mean, come on, we should just like use our imaginations. <laughs> okay. Chris, yeah, so I I mean I've probably like had Christmas pajamas in my mouth at one point in my life, (laughs) but I can't, I don't have a story behind it. Um, But kind of how I started blogging was I, there's not a lot of young girls in this field. And I think now more than ever, young people are drinking wine and I want it to be a thing that isn't daunting or scary to someone because let's be frank we're talking about fermented grapes doesn't need to be so serious um so i that's pretty much behind the blog how i started it is you know we should talk about it in a way that people will understand saying a pith of you know uh quincy people don't know what that is so christmas pajamas in your mouth kind of is more accurate i think for people
0: yeah, my, my favorite uh, example of that is um, whenever anyone, whether they be a sommelier or, or wine writer, whomever, uses the term gooseberry, and then I always want to yeah, ask them, like, like what? have you ever had a gooseberry? <laughs> and, uh, you know, the ones who've been doing it for a long time have, probably just so they can answer that question with a sort of a snarky yes. But, like, yeah. who the who the fuck eats gooseberries? Like, yeah. gooseberries, and I have tried them, are pretty gross, which maybe is fitting for <laughs> some of the wines that get described as having kind of a gooseberry quality. But, but it's just like... You're, in a way, just so distancing the expre- experience of the wine from what the average person will, or even, not even the average person, even the most sommeliers will be able to connect with. And if you use, you know, such, you know, all the kinds of words that are so, uh, yeah, so sort of within the wine community and have no, res- don't resonate with anyone else, then kind of what's the point?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So do you? Okay, so here, so here's a question that goes kind of along with this because I know that you're a big fan of French wines, a big fan, obviously yeah. of of natural winemaking and and wines. I think particularly of the Loire Valley. Um, oh, yeah. So so do you have like? Is there like uh, when you when you're blind tasting, is there something for you that like like what is it about the Loire in particular that that jumps out at you uh, blind tasting or otherwise? Like, uh, and obviously that's a broad question because lots of different varietals from the Loire, lots of different um, winemaking styles. But is there something that, that kind of you feel like unifies all those wines and that is the reason why they tend to appeal to you so much?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, the Loire Valley, you know, really cold climate. Uh, so you get high acid, and I love high acid wines. It's like my favorite quality of a wine. Um, so that, and then also the minerality that you get in them, more so than other regions, I think. So those two qualities and come together and make like magic happen in your mouth. So, so yeah. are
0: you, so when we talk Loire, are you, are you more like Sancerre? Are we talking uh, like Vouvray? Uh, you know, Chinon, Bourgoyle, Like where? I mean, obviously you can like all of them. I certainly yeah. do. But like when it because Loire is I think one of these big like it gets thrown around a lot. But there is a, a distinct difference. I mean, obviously there's different varietals yes. being right. used in each of those wines. Is there one in particular that you're like? put a bottle of this in front of me and I'm all about it
1: trend I love trend
0: very cool yeah I mean, and that's, that's kind my an, favorite yeah it's kind of an interesting middle ground because and with trends you kind of get like you can get a little bit of everything in there because mm-hmm. you know you're going to get some Cap Franc, some pinot noir uh maybe some cot or malbec like it's kind of a little bit a little bit of the whole the whole gamut kind of in that midpoint of the loire. Very cool. Well, you mentioned high acid wines. And so the first wine that we have to taste uh, is uh, about as high acid a varietal as you get. It's a Riesling from my neck of the woods uh, here in Washington State, the Kung Fu Girl, uh, which made by Charles Smith. And uh, I think the first thing anyone ever says about this bottle is that it has one of the best labels and it has always had one of the best labels and it is super... Uh, eye-catching on a store shelf. Um, when I ran a retail shop, I stocked plenty of it and sold plenty of it. Um, so Heather, if you've got the bottle in front of you, which I would hope you do, why don't you uh, why don't you say a little bit about this wine? Tell me, tell me and uh, the listeners what you think of it.
1: Okay, so <laughs> I'm very interested to hear what you have to say because aren't you like a huge Riesling fan?
0: I am a huge Riesling fan, it's true.
1: Yeah, so I personally, me being a high acid fan, right? So this, it's there I don't get a lot of acid on it Hmm. right I and it's like off dry I'm really I'm really into dry Riesling I don't really like off dry sweet Rieslings I don't like off dry wines really okay well I can't say I don't like them but there are good ones but this I don't know but what do you think
0: well see I think for me the thing that's kind of fun about this wine is like for what is like no doubt a pretty bargain price uh riesling has at least to me the kind of tension that i want in riesling like there's there's definitely some residual sugar um it's definitely made in that style um it's not and because of that residual sugar the like the uh, intensity of the acidity is just not as um present um i think there's a decent amount of acidity in this wine i don't have i could probably dig up the um the stats but like it's not we're not talking like The sort of new wave, like super dry trocken style German rieslings that you'll see, or like definitely if you get something from certain parts of Australia, or um, even like Finger Lakes. You know, you might see really like fermented to essentially bone dry, um, and just really screaming acidity. I was up in British Columbia earlier this year, and um, some of the and I like acidity, and some of the rieslings there that were fermented totally dry or nearly dry were almost too acidic even for me. Just they they were just really like, yeah, just like enamel scrapers. Um, and kind of fun <laughs> to try, but like the thought of having a full glass or two is a little overwhelming. Um, I will say that like Charles Smith in general makes wines and that are meant to be, let's say broadly appealing. Um, and that's why there's definitely some residual sugar to this wine. That's why maybe the acidity is not, uh, super in your face. Um, and it's, so the idea is really to kind of, to make what is undeniably and clearly a Riesling. It's got some kind of classic Washington state character, like this sort of, uh, like really tart green apple, but like a little bit of a sort of a sweeter, uh, fruit profile as well. There's almost like a little bit of like pineapple note to it. Um, and, uh, and so, like, you know, it's definitely one of those bottles where, like, you know, one of these things as someone who lives in Seattle and is a is a is uh, in some ways a big supporter of Washington wine, one of the challenges in talking to people about it other places is the just the fact that there's not a lot of it available most places. And even, um, you know, even big markets like New York City with, you know, lots of wine from all over the place, you know, you might have more, you know, Slovenian wine than you have Washington wine uh, in a yeah. given store. And that's kind of, you know, that's just that's the blessing and the curse of the of the industry here is that uh, there's lots of great wine but a lot of it stays here um so anyhow so i mean i think like it's it's definitely like interesting um or i shouldn't say it's definitely a fine wine for what it is i would not put it up there as like a great example of super classic like really mind-blowing riesling um we'll have to save that for another podcast um but um but yeah i mean like it's it's I it don't it think I'm a big
1: is. fan. I'm not a big fan. Fair enough.
0: So, so suffice to say, we won't see this written up on the, yeah, on the website no.
1: anytime so. <laughs> Um <laughs> no Do you problem. know about this producer, though? Do you know him at all?
0: I do, yeah. So, uh, I do. So I'm gonna have I to- heard
1: he's an asshole. <laughs> is he?
0: Uh, I'm going to be a little diplomatic and just say that Charles is a um, – he's an iconoclast and he has a certain way about him that maybe not everyone loves um i think you know the thing about him and his whole approach is it's always been and you can tell from you know if you look at this label and we'll put a picture of this up when the when the uh, podcast goes up but like his wine has always been really really well designed from like a marketing aesthetic um the bottles tend to be really eye-catching they've got clever names they're just the, all of that from his and uh, from his winery and from his labels is really well done. He just built a brand new winery in uh, in Seattle and it's you know, like beautiful uh, super cool um I don't necessarily always think that his wines are as good as they could be. Um, some of them are really good um some of them are mm, not super exciting to me I mean like I remember tasting um, like a super high oak. Sauvignon Blanc, which I mean, I don't like it when California does it, and I definitely don't like it when people in Washington do it. Like, I just <laughs> Sauvignon Blanc is not a varietal that should be oaked. Definitely not new oak. Uh, just yep. like we're, why are you making Sauvignon Blanc like Chardonnay? There's a million fucking oaked Chardonnays out there. Make one of those if that's what you want to make. And if you're gonna yeah. make Sauvignon Blanc, then like we should probably stick to what Sauvignon Blanc is and not try and turn it into something else. Um, and Great. so, and so, I just, I think. You know, and then I mean, I mean, the other thing is like this is just a personal aside, and I guess it's going to go up on the on the podcast. But like I remember going to a, a a wine event and just being a little, let's say, for underwhelmed for the fact that Charles puts himself out there as a winemaker, how little he could tell me about the actual process of making. Hey, wine. I that heard that about.
1: today about but, like with some guy I work with. I was asking him about him, and he said the exact same thing.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess then it's no secret. So, um, I think <laughs> I would just say like, like the guy, as far as like a brand builder, like as a business guy, he's been tremendously successful, successful, no criticisms there. And to some extent when you get big enough, you know, it's just like, you know, if you're the, if you're the, sh- if you're the executive chef or the owner of a chain of restaurants or a you know restaurant company, you probably can't tell me what's in every dish at every restaurant. Like that's beyond at some point, you're not that's not what you're supposed to be but those people also don't pretend otherwise and i think he kind of likes to have it both ways and talk about the wines like he really makes them and he just frankly doesn't for the most part and that you know frankly is not a bad thing yeah if you hire people who are good at making wine and he has some really talented winemakers working for him um then that's okay but it's just you know own your role as brand ambassador or whatever uh, (laughs) you want to be um and he likes to talk about rock and roll a lot. And I feel like it's sort of like nothing wrong with rock, but, um, I, sometimes I feel like is, goes over my head. He wants to yeah. talk about his wines. Like they're, I don't know, songs from 40 years ago. And I kind of go, Hey dude, I wasn't born yet. That's cool. Awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah. good for you. Um, well, anyhow, um, that's, uh, at least one wine and, uh, we'll, we'll move on to the, the second wine here in a little bit, but I had a, a couple more questions well, the first is really, how did you, uh, h- how hard was it to come up with the name for the blog? Cause again, I just blonde to blonde is great. Although I do think it's funny that I, if I'm correct, you were not in fact actually blonde.
1: I'm not blonde. No, I have very, very dark brown hair,
0: but so uh, yeah, but, but I have,
1: but my hair is bleached
0: blonde. Well, there you go. It's you've 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 taken the steps necessary to uh, turn the yeah. lie into truth.
1: If you um look at my it, look at the pictures, like I'm, you can tell that I'm blonde, and I think I hide it pretty well. But <laughs> yeah, I'm not trying to fool anyone. I am a brunette. It is accurate.
0: Well, you know that's people come to this podcast for its um, hard, insightful questions and getting to yeah. the to the truth behind things. Um, so, I also just because of personal local interest so in you in the same uh blog post where you talked about the narodalas tasting like christmas pajamas you talk you also say uh it's uh like getting lost in a washington state forest have you been out here before
1: i have some family that lives there yeah oh, cool. um so yeah i've been there a time or two wow. i mean i it was when i was younger but i mean I could imagine what it's like. Oh, and like Twilight, isn't that based there? So I've seen that movie.
0: (laughs) Nice. Well, that, that is, that I think tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, Um, I know. Pretty much all of us Seattleites are sparkly in the sunshine or whatever. I don't know how that works exactly. Um, shockingly Twilight, not on, not, not high on my Netflix queue for the moment. Um, so, uh, as far as, uh, wine and travel goes, um, Maybe leaving the Loire Valley aside, because I would imagine that's your answer. Are there, where are there, are there places that you've been or want to go that uh, that are high on your list?
1: I haven't uh, been to min- too many places, but I would love to go to Greece. I think their way of making wine is pretty fascinating, so I'd like to go see that. Um, you know, Italy. I think that's everyone's though.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Italy's a pretty big place. They make a lot of different wines. Oh.
1: The Canary Islands—that would oh. be awesome because it's like a moon. Have you seen pictures?
0: Uh, I've seen a little bit. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm I'm thinking of Madeira, but is there other other places on in the Canary Islands yeah. that would make wine?
1: Yeah, they do, and they. I had I forget the um, producer of it, but I had a really awesome rosé from the Canary Islands. Wow. And I was researching it, and these photos of the vineyards there are insane. You have to look them up. Um, I will do
0: that. Yeah, but I guess
1: it's pretty windy, so they dig them down in a hole, and it's all black sand, and oh, it looks cool. like Mars or something. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty
0: cool. Yeah, that's like uh, that's kind of like the same thing that is appealing or interesting about um, about going to Santorini in particular in Greece, because mm-hmm. that's also really high on my list. Is you just look at how almost unfathomable it is that anyone makes uh, wine there, just like how how inhospitable to growing anything uh, that island is. There's no water. That's hot and dry and super windy. And the fact that people like not only make wine, but that it's really, really cool and interesting and delicious is, um, kind of blows my mind. And it's like, I talk about a to people a lot because I'm just sort of weirdly passionate about it. And, um, I think it's one of those varietals and those wines where you just go, like you have, this is where they, they like appreciating the story of wine and, and sort of what goes into the bottle, um, can really add to the experience once you taste it. Like you, when you, when you appreciate the struggle that has gone into making that wine and not that only not that like the struggle of making the wine should make up for quality. Like I wouldn't be like, Oh, this wine sucks, but someone worked really hard on it. So that's good. <laughs> like make a really good wine. And then if it's, if it's got a really cool story, I will be more about it. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's mind blowing to me that, that they're able to make wine there and of yeah. or, of any quality, let alone high quality. Um, yeah. so it sounds like the Canary Islands are the same. I'll have, we'll have to look that up and, I'm looking forward to torturing my, my local reps, asking them if anyone can get me some Canary Islands wine, because I would guess it is not a thing that is in the Seattle market, I'm um, sad to say.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you could find it somewhere. I'll if just, not, call me and you get it from my store.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, I'll just order it from Astor. I've done yeah. that before.
1: Perfect. Wonderful.
0: Uh, so let's uh, move on to the second wine here, which is from uh, one of my favorite wineries uh, in uh, all of the Pacific Northwest, Montenor. Um, and this is... Uh, 20, I believe you've got hopefully the 2014 Pinot Noir. I would assume that's I do. what you have there. Uh, yes. This is the, you've got the red cap, right? Which is just kind of their Willamette Valley um, uh, estate level bottling.
1: Yeah just the Um,
0: regular one so i will uh i'm going to say real quickly a few things about montanore because like i said it's one of my favorite wineries um they are 100 percent biodynamic um and they're in the sort of uh, northwestern part of the willamette valley and what i what i find really interesting about uh their wines is they are so uh reflective of um their terroir to some extent but really uh vintage to vintage they can be really really different but in a way that is um, totally representative of the year uh so i've drank uh, a bunch of the 2013 um not that long ago as it was sort of uh the vintage was disappearing from the market uh and uh, this 14 is um, fundamentally different because the two vintages were very different and i love that i mean to me that's the point of making vintage wine um is that the wine tastes different year to year if the vintages are different um and if the wine tastes the same in two very different vintages then i start to wonder what the hell they're doing in the winery um and so the 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 thing about this vintage about 2014, uh, very hot, dry vintage in the Willamette Valley. The Harvest, uh, I think they picked these grapes probably about uh, two and a half to three weeks earlier than they did the 2013. Um, And that's, you know, a pretty big difference in any varietal and certainly for Pinot, um, which kind of can be challenging to ripen. Um, So they got lots of lots of ripe flavors on this. But um, I don't know. Why don't you, uh, Heather, why don't you say a little uh, a little bit of what you think of this wine and uh, then we can talk a little more about it.
1: I love this wine. I think it's awesome. And I suggest it to people all the time. Um, I think it's like a very good representation of like Oregon Pinot Noirs. I don't know if you would agree with that. Or not. Oh, absolutely. It's, um, it
0: has all those kind of classic tasting markers.
1: Yeah. But it's awesome because, you know, a lot of new world wines are so big and like in your face and high alcohol. This one's not like that. Um, But I really enjoy it. I get a lot of different kind of, you know, I get vegetable notes on it, too, which I think is super cool. Like a green bell pepper, but also cherry and raspberry. And it's, I think it's great. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. And and it's very cheerful and bright.
0: mm -hmm. And I think it's like a great sort of like, I think Pinot is one of those varietals that like, you know when people kind of get introduced to Pinot Noir they come at it from a couple of different angles I would think and I'm I have a hard time with this because being uh most of my wine experience being here in Seattle you know we I get introduced you know I get introduced to Pinot Noir mostly through Oregon and I think a lot of people around here do too but for more people for more more often than not it's through either California or through French Pinot Uh, you know Burgundy in particular and so you know this is definitely more Burgundian than California um and I think with California Pinot you end up with that sort of really um sort of Hyper ripe kind of almost confected fruit quality, um, and I really appreciate that. Like this is not that; it's got that kind of earthy. Like we talk about, like f- sort of forest floor, mushroomy notes a lot with Oregon Pinot, and I and that's I think totally here. Um, that green yeah. note is really interesting. I think it's like it's it's definitely bell peppery, but it's also got this kind of like to me like this kind of like tarragon, like kind of sweet green herb quality. That's yeah. not quite that's not quite like that really kind of harsh fresh cut pel- bell pepper thing. It's more it's more like those kind of like uh, sweet herbs that really like entice me. And I'm not a, I can like, I like wines with that bell pepper note sometimes, but I I find it also can be really um, overwhelming if, uh, if too present. And so like, I think this does a really nice job of of sort of finding that those green qualities that, that entice me as opposed to kind of turn me off.
1: Yeah. It's like the Macy's Thanksgiving parade in your mouth.
0: Totally. I I am like it. I it's there's like Snoopy and um shit yeah all, uh, all the peanut man maybe yeah totally
1: like.
0: yeah it's kind of on the back yeah, and then
1: pot. there's like turkey tom isn't uh, isn't that
0: uh one I you know I despite having lived in New York for a few years I I have to admit that I never went and saw the Macy's uh, Thanksgiving parade oh
1: come on um, do you watch it
0: <laughs> no uh, it is on too early for me here on the on the west coast oh. I am I am not awake at like six in the morning on Thanksgiving I gotta tell you yeah um, but yeah, it's definitely got those kind of like um, that that sort of spice component too. That that is that kind of holiday spice. It's not like it's not like the super baking spice note that you get in an oak no, wine. Yeah. Where where, but it's just got that kind of like cardamomy. Like it it just sort of feels like fall. Which you know, at least here in uh, on the west coast, we're getting into. I don't know. Maybe it's still like ninety five degrees in New York, but uh, I hope it's for your hot. sake it's hot.
1: It's hot, but. We've had the last two days have been a little, had a little chill in the air, but other than that, it's been hot. Yeah. I hope it doesn't
0: go back. Yeah. You will, uh, hopefully get, uh, get into the, the red wine season a little bit more fully. Um, so, so I, I'm, i find it interesting that you like to, that you recommend this wine a lot to people. What, what, uh, what are the selling points for people on this wine?
1: I tell them that it's like Thanksgiving in your mouth and it's very cheerful very cool those are my exact words
0: nice everyone. Well, that is that is a that is consistent and i think totally accurate and i think the other thing we didn't even talk about with thanksgiving is it's also definitely got like a kind of cranberry sauce quality yeah to it too, absolutely sort of really dry tart red fruit note um that's super emblematic of most pinot um especially like slightly cooler climate pinot um that's fun uh awesome And, uh, so what, just as a, as a preview, anything else that you've got coming up on the blog that you're excited about, some wines you've tried that uh, you're looking forward to writing about?
1: So I just had this, uh, Gruner the other day and it was like a children's book. Seriously. I was like, I think I should pair, not that I'm into like drunk parenting or anything. I don't have children, so I don't know anything about that, but, um, I don't plan to drunk parent my kids.
0: (laughs) But I think, I think I th- all of us will inevitably end up doing it at least once. It's kind of hard to avoid.
1: Maybe once. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, this, it was like where the wild things are in a glass. And so I wrote something about that wine. So that would be up soon. Um, I think like that's pretty much all I have. Oh, I do have a Sheenon that I'm going to put up. But other than that, I kind of am going day by day. I've been doing some other freelance writing, too. So on pet and Sherry.
0: Oh, awesome. Awesome. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Wonderful. Well, Heather, thanks so much for your time. Uh, we'll uh, check out your blog. That's BlancdeBlonde.com. B-L-A-N-C-D-E-B-L-O-N-D-E.com. And uh, check you out on Twitter. And I'm going to totally botch your Twitter handle. So you say it right now.
1: It's BlancdeBlonde. Oh, okay.
0: Perfect. I couldn't remember if yeah. it was your name or not. So yeah, at BlancdeBlonde no. on Twitter. Uh, always a fun follow. And uh yeah, the, seriously, some of the most entertaining um, wine reviews you c- or wine descriptions you can read, but they're not entertaining from a made up standpoint. They're just really they're descriptive in a way that totally makes sense most of the time. And I feel like if I got all of your references, I would probably that would be almost like that wouldn't be right because they're they're very personal in some ways. And I dig that like that's wine is can be com- universal and also very personal. And uh, and the best descriptions have a little bit of both in them.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. And I loved when you tweeted me and said Hanukkah pajamas. I thought that was great. <laughs> well, Perfect. it's just, I was
0: like, as, as someone who is Jewish, I've got to tell you Christmas, Christmas pajamas, not so much, but, but I got you with the Hanukkah pajamas.
1: Ah, oh, awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much.
0: Thanks Heather. Have a wonderful evening. And thanks once again for joining me on the disgorged podcast. I am your host Zach Chabal. Follow me on Twitter at ZJBAL, that's at Z-G-E-B-A-L-L-E. You can also find my website, www.vinetradings.com that's vine with a V, trainings.com, for more info on wine classes, events, and other fun stuff, and we will be back here with you again next time here on Discord.